Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to them, or said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thanks. You know it's going to be a good sermon when she comes up with her Nazarene manual in hand. Let me tell you about my nerdiness. I pulled a Berkeley this week and packed for my family reunion next week, three days early, and I had to pull this out of my suitcase so that I could use it for this sermon this morning because I was gonna read it on my vacation. You're welcome, you're welcome. Um, I am recovering from COVID. I got my first negative test Wednesday afternoon, so if you hear my Voice a little scratchy, yes, thank you. I'm actually really happy to be uh, in the land of the living. Until yesterday, I thought I had some kind of um, superpowers, you know, that like super immunity that you get from like having had COVID, but apparently you can test positive all over again within a few days. So don't be too careless out there um, if you're thinking about it. Um, I'm Britt Bullerjack, and we have a lot of new faces um, since I preached nine months ago, so I wanted to kind of introduce myself all over again. If you are listening to this on the podcast, I'm actually wearing a clerical collar this morning, and you might be wondering, what's the point, right? Why is she wearing this particular outfit when she's preaching? Um, And if you have been here a while, you know that every time I preach, I really like to wear a collar, and it's because I grew up Nazarene. OKC First is a part of a larger faith community called the Church of the Nazarene, and I grew up in that denomination, Church of the Nazarene, where we have been ordaining women since 1907. To the, yes, to the ministry, yes, mm mm-hmm. Yes, give yourselves a round of applause. But um, I didn't actually notice a woman preach until I was 18. And I think there probably were a few times growing up um, when I perhaps 
did hear a woman preach, but just didn't notice that I was hearing a woman preach, and it didn't register in my little childhood heart that being a preacher was a profession that I was allowed to engage in. And so it's really important to me, as much as I uh, can, as it is within my power, to model and show up and be recognizable as a woman preacher on a Sunday morning so that little girls in our congregation know that this is a possibility for them too. But I do remember the first time, I'm pretty sure, I ever heard a woman preach. <clears throat> it was Dr. Deirdre Brower Latz. I don't know if you have heard of Dr. Deirdre, but wow, amazing. And not just because she has a really fabulous British accent, but that does kind of like add to the allure. I don't know if you have heard a British accent, anyway. Um, <clears throat> but she was the special speaker at extravaganza. I was in high school. It's this like competition between all these Nazarene churches that happens at Southern Nazarene University. It felt like this really big deal. Um, I'd only been going to church here for a year. I was 17. It was 2001. And she got up on stage and I only remember two things about that sermon. Ready? Two takeaways. Number one was this story. <clears throat> One time she was a sponsor on a high school mission trip and late at night all the students were hanging out in a room together. And one of the high schoolers pulled her aside and told her that they were struggling to believe in God. Deirdre and another youth sponsor took that high schooler to the next room and began to pray over them. And something happened in their hearts and they just found themselves praying and praying and praying. It had been late at night, the day was done, but they found themselves till one or two in the morning. They just could not stop praying for this student. And all of a sudden, without a light turning on, something shone and the room kind of lit up around them. And she describes this like magical glow. And this student clung to that miracle moment as a spark for their newly renewed faith. And when the three of them emerged from that room at 2 a.m., they realized that all of the youth that they had left prior in the evening had been praying outside the door of that room for that person to receive Christ. And it was an incredible story. It has stuck with me um, 20 years later. And the second thing I remember from that sermon is that about halfway through, she used the B word. The, you know, that B word, right? And, and I am a Nazarene 17-year-old high schooler, and I'm like, oh, did you? We're like, you can hear like the murmurs in the crowd. You know, we're at BFC, there's hundreds of us, and we're all looking at each other like, did you, did you, did you? I think she did, yeah, wow. And it took her like a full minute to realize she had lost us. I don't know what point she was trying to make, but it was over. We were high schoolers that had just heard the preacher swear in the church, and it was, it was like we could not hang on. And so finally she kind of slowed down a little bit. She goes, I feel like I'm uh, missing something. I can't do it in her accent or I would try, but she's like, uh, what happened? Like somebody on the front row is like, you, you said the B word. We don't, we don't say the B word. And she's like, oh, okay. Well, in my country, the B word's not a big deal. And in that moment, I wanted to be a preacher on the front of the church. And I just knew that God was calling me to be pastoring the church. Anyway, um, it was my moment. I wanted to be just like Deirdre Brower Latz. Um, later, like, my wildest dreams came true. She was the advisor for my master's, but that's a different story for a different day. This is my husband. 
this is Aaron. We have been pastoring together for many, many years. Two years in Poland, two years in England, and we've been back at this church for eight, um, although he's more on a volunteer basis these days. We have 14 beautiful chickens. Um, if you ever visit me at my house, you will know that we are the proud parents of these chickens. Um, they do receive frozen grapes and ice cubes in the heat, um, so they are quite spoiled and doing just fine, in case you're wondering. Uh, we love them. We live with five young adults. Um, when we bought the house four years ago, this was one of our goals, to live with um, students that had graduated from, from SNU, and it's been an incredible journey. Uh, we have been with each other through thick and thin and highs and lows. Um, we're in kind of a season of transition, losing a couple, gaining a couple, but um, it's been a really, really special part of life to do life with them, especially super fun in a pandemic, right? We were like all locked down, and there's like seven adults in this house, now most of us like working from home overnight, and we, uh, you know, did what any reasonable set of young adults would do. We watched Harry Potter uh, every other night till we made it through the Harry Potter series. And then we watched Lord of the Rings every other night after that. So we made it through the Lord of the Rings series. Anyway, you get the idea. We love doing life um, with these students, and I'm so grateful to have them. We also have a one-year-old. I'm not going to spam you with tons of photos of her, but I thought about it, okay? I, I had about eight more slides like this that I could have shown you, but I'm not. You're welcome. Um, recently, I went on sabbatical. So many of you have asked me about sabbatical, and I am so grateful to serve in a faith community that um, places a high priority on rest and renewal. And um, my sabbatical was eight weeks of um, just really incredible soaking uh, up of nature and family. Um, if uh, we went to California and then we went to Colorado, um, I did Marie Kondo of my closet, also very liberating, highly recommend. Um, my daughter met all the animals. If, if Shiloh could speak and like recap sabbatical for you, it would have been like dog, dog, chickens, goat, dog, dog. Um, this particular one in the middle, Wallace, she enjoyed licking for some reason. I don't know. If you have a 10 month old, you can like wonder why they lick things too, I guess. Um, and I got back from sabbatical and dove right back into my doctorate. I'm currently working on a doctorate of ministry in land, food, and faith formation because um, I am passionate about the intersection of the environment and our church culture and our faith and what God would have us do in the land, and we'll actually come back to that one here in a little bit. Um, this summer has been super fun. I just got back from the high school mission trip. Um, Sort of. I went about uh, half the trip and then I got COVID. So, uh, yeah, sorry guys. Um, but I will say, you have such a great group of high schoolers. I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed working with them and talking with them and um, watching them um, just do their thing. They're so cool. I love them so much. And the college students, we've had a great summer. We did all the things. We went to pottery class together. Um, it's just been really, really cool to get to know these college students over the summer. Summer is one of my favorite times to like, be in college ministry, really. Um, but enough about me, right? We're here to talk about God or scripture stuff. Um, yeah, so I wanted to give you that update. Oh, oh, and the thing I didn't say was um, one of the incredible gifts of sabbatical for me um, was that I really honed in on my callings, really feel like 
um, God is calling me to three specific things. Um, and I wanted to share these real quick, just in case you like are curious or interested or whatever, we can talk about. You know, if you ever have a name tag and it says, ask me about, um, these three things would be on my name tag. So here we go. Um, help people fall in love with Jesus. I'm a pastor, so that's probably a good one. Um, help my people, you, us, together cultivate safe spaces for minorities and LGBT humans, and help my people, us, the church, care for the planet. Um, and I've really been honing in on what those things mean to me, where I fit as a puzzle piece in this particular local faith community as I dwell on all of those things. Um, and if you want to talk more about them, I would love to talk about them. Um, I feel like my journey in those areas is really just beginning. I'm excited about that. I wanted to mention, I did not actually pick today's scripture. Um, we use a calendar of scriptures called the Revised Common Lectionary, and it is this fascinating project, um, over 100 years old, I think, and um, it is a literal three-year calendar of scriptures, and it has anywhere from four to eight scriptures every single week, and you can kind of pick one of those and run with it and see where it takes you. Um, and so I chose this um, passage from that calendar of today, like on today's date, this is one of the options. Um, and so I, I just want you to know, like it didn't come out of the blue. Honestly, I read through it. I don't know if you have read through it or, you know, following along, but um, I, I was actually kind of disappointed when I first read through it. I was like, oh, this is a really simple passage and I don't super feel like talking about this topic, God, like what are we doing? <laughs> um, but that's the beautiful part about the lectionary is um, when you don't have a choice, you've got to chew on it. You've got to dive in. And so I really ended up with four things that have stood out to me, to me. Well, I really ended up with 10 things, but I only put four into the sermon. Um, I, this, more of this sermon has ended up on the cutting room floor than is on this podium right now. So you're welcome for that, right? Um, here we go. So here we go. This is from Luke chapter 12, and Jesus is teaching in a crowd, and someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbiter or arbitrator over you? Um, and I already want to stop right here. I know what you're thinking. It's not going to be that long. It's just, I just wanted to pause. Um, because this guy actually might have had a point. Um, I found several commentators who have studied this passage that are kind of like, yeah, people kind of expected, you know, Jewish leaders to, to do this kind of thing, to like step up and um, help out in these sorts of situations. I'm not 100% sure what that would have looked like, but there is one instance where Moses in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, does do this for a family. And I want to tell that story because I think it's actually um, a really powerful story. And I, I owe um, Will DeGaffney, um, who wrote Woman is Midrash that I'll throw up on the screen in a minute, um, credit for teaching me about this story. But this is the story of Mala Noah Holga Milka and Terza. You might know them as the daughters of Zelophehad. <laughs> um, or you might not. <laughs> Their narrative um, is so important that they are brought up five different times in the Hebrew Bible, in three different books of the Old Testament. Of the 100 and of the 1,426 
characters in the Old Testament, 111 are women, and five are in this story. Um, they are mentioned in more books of the Bible than almost anyone, um, except for maybe Moses and Miriam. So, if we haven't heard this story, maybe we should. Maybe now's a good time. Oh, woman is midrash. Uh, the daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Maker. Okay, that's a lot of things. The names of the daughters <laughs> were Mala, Noah, Holga, Milka, and Terzah. They came forward and they stood before Moses. Eleazar the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So here are women, these five sisters standing up and saying, you know what, I know we don't count. I know we're kind of property. I know there's no law that says that you should give us the inheritance of our father, but here we are. We exist. We are present. And we would like to come before you and ask for something that we truly believe is rightfully ours. So Moses is like, <laughs> I don't know, guys. And he takes their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their, father, among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. This is shocking. I cannot explain to you how incredible it is that these women have stood up for themselves. And here, it seems like God's kind of on their side, right? God's like, you know what? You're right. You're right. You, you, you're right. Let's do this right. Let's make it right. And say to the Israelites... If a man dies and leaves no son, give his inheritance to his daughter. <gasps> if he has no daughter, give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan that he may possess it. This is to have the force of law for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. So maybe it, it didn't, you could, you could read between the lines and get here before, but now boom, there it is. If there are no sons, let's give it to the daughters, people. Big, big, big deal. The family heads of the clan of Gilead, son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, who were from the clans of the descendants of Joseph, came and spoke before Moses and the leaders, the heads of the Israelite families. They said, when the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land as the inheritance to the Israelites by law, he ordered you to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters, right? Um, but suppose they marry men from other Israelite tribes, then their inheritance will be taken from our ancestral inheritance and added to that of the tribe they marry into. And so part of the inheritance allotted to us, our tribe, will be taken away. When the year of Jubilee for the Israelites comes, their inheritance will be added to that of the tribe into which they marry, and our property will be taken from the tribal inheritance of our ancestors. Then at the Lord's command, so Moses maybe goes back and says, maybe not, or maybe just Moses is like explaining. We're not sure how Moses arrives at this conclusion, but he says, 
What the tribe of the descendants of Joseph is saying is right. So this is what the Lord commands for Zelophehad's daughter. They may marry anyone they please, so long as they marry within their father's tribal clan. No inheritance in Israel is to pass from one tribe to another, for every Israelite shall keep the tribal inheritance of their ancestors. So the men in the group are kind of like, wait, 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 wait. If you give this property to women, and only men are really allowed to own property, then once they marry, those men are going to own that property, and we're not ever going to get it back. And so Moses kind of makes this like concession, okay, patriarchy, we get it. Like we'll, we'll go ahead and like make sure that when they choose to marry. Um, and I think that it's so fascinating here. They may marry anyone that they please. There's so much agency given to these women at a time when women had none. It's a fascinating story, right? So Zelophehad's daughter did as the Lord commanded Moses. Mala, Terza, Holga, Milka, and Noah married their cousins on their father's side. So they do the thing. They get, it, they get it done. They're like, okay, you know what? You got some hoops for us women to jump through. We're going to jump through your hoops. How about that? Mm-hmm. And then Moses just kind of drags his feet. Like, you know, the end of the story should be like they get their stuff. Like, you know, we jump through your hoops. Um, but Moses never does. He never gives them their stuff. Um, it's not until Joshua takes over for Moses, if you kind of remember this story. Um, now, Zelophehad, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Maker, son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Holga, Milka, and Terza. They came before the priest, Eleazar, and Joshua, son of Nun, because Moses is gone. Now Joshua's in charge. And said, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our male kin. So according to the commandment of the Lord, Joshua gave it to them. Oh, see, it's not that hard. <laughs> um, but they finally came into their own. I'm just like so proud of this story. These women stood up not once, not twice, three times, jump through hoops, do all they need to do to prove themselves like you should treat us. At this point, we, we can assume they're already married. They are wives at this point. Um, it should be their husbands advocating for this kind of thing. But no, here they are. And they are asking Moses to make this decision. And then they are asking Joshua to make this decision. And so when this guy comes and says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, my brother's not being fair. Can you help him help me help us do this fairly? It's really not that out of the blue for them to expect this kind of thing. And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. A parable. You might be thinking, what is a parable? Maybe you've never heard of a parable before. I looked it up on Wikipedia. I'm not going to read that definition to you, but it's out there. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I like to say, and this might be familiar if you've been around here before, I like to say that a parable isn't true the way that a literal story about a historical thing that actually happened just like this is true. No, see, a parable is true because it's a story about things that are happening all the time. Books about Jesus are super helpful with parables because a lot of times the narrator or even the Jesus character himself will say, this is a parable. Here, the narrator has done it for us, a parable. 
But there's no one in the Christian faith, faith that is then plugging our ears and saying, oh, well, if this is not a literal truth about something that literally happened just like that, then obviously I don't need to listen to it and it's not important. But no, a parable contains truth. I would argue that a parable contains truth even more powerful than some historical accounts because it allows us to see ourselves in the broad strokes of the story and feel something about God and understand something about that relationship in the process. And if you'll let me, I wanna do a couple minutes of meddling. I know you guys are great with meddling, so here we go. Um, many of our college students, uh, and young adults, let's say, <clears throat> who find their way to Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene are no strangers to taking the Bible literally. They've often grown up with a faith that has a foundation of literalism, i.e., everything in this book happened exactly as it is written in blank English translation, now and forevermore, amen. But here's the problem. Once they grow up enough to start doing their own searching, ask some scarier questions, they might wonder, right? They might wonder, is there a literal Adam and Eve? Now, that is a scary thought. And you know why? Because their biblical understanding of faith has allowed them, and many of us, to intuit that if one thing, if Adam and Eve might not literally be true, then surely the truth of all of Scripture will crumble. How do we know what is true? And then you, you get to scary thoughts, like, wait, wait, maybe none of the Bible is true. How do I know what is true? How do I know what to believe? And I cannot tell you how many of my students, our students, find their faith crumbling around them because it turns out a foundation of cherry-picking and literalism is no foundation at all. But I am happy to report, we are happy to report, that the Church of the Nazarene, we Wesleyan tradition believers believe that the Bible is true. Even if Adam and Eve were not two literal people named Adam and Eve, their story is a story filled to the brim with truth. I know because I've preached on it myself. Sometimes stories are allowed to be parables even if the narrator doesn't point it out. Scripture itself is filled to the brim with the truth of the love and the grace of God. So please, do not allow the fact that this scripture passage today contains a parable to shatter you or your faith or your understanding of the Bible because I gotta tell you, the Bible is chock full of parable. And if you'll permit me a nerd alert, I will read to you from the Nazarene Manual. Yes, uh-huh. This is our statement on the Bible. Ready? This is the fourth thing that we believe. You know, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Bible. Love it. Number four. Here we go. We believe, a lot of big words, apologize in advance, in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments given by divine inspiration, inherently revealing the will of God concerning all things necessary to our salvation, so that whatever is contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. I actually love this stuff. I eat this up. This is so great. Because what we're really saying here is that the Bible is 
perfect when it comes to salvation. There is nothing you need to follow God that you cannot find somewhere in the pages of the Bible. But what we don't say is you have to take every single thing literally as a historical account, and that's okay. Because the Bible is true. We need not be afraid of the kind of truth contained in the Bible about who you are and who I am and who God is and how this all works together, right? This divine dance is dynamic and living. The Spirit speaks to us through Scripture, and we do not have to be afraid of finding things that are parables. We don't have to be afraid. And a great example of this is Adam and Eve. So this is statement 923. I don't know if you're like following the numbering system, but this falls a few steps below the Bible. (laughs) This is our statement on creation, right? Um, Creation. The Church of the Nazarene believes in the biblical account of creation, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. We are open to scientific explanations on the nature of creation, and we oppose any interpretation of the origin of the universe or humankind that rejects God as creator. You wanna believe in a Big Bang? You just go right ahead. That's great, love that for you. I actually do too. But I believe that God, you know, God banged the Big Bang, God. Clearly, that was not in my script. Can we cut that out of the, are we editing live here? Um, God is the author, right, of, of creation. I'm just, I've lost you. It's a, you'll come back in a couple minutes. It's fine. I know, I'm Deirdre Brower Lats right now, guys. We have come full circle. Okay. Um, you know what? We're just going to move on. We're going to move on. I can't, I can't. Okay. I'm just turning the page. We're we're just turning the page. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. And he told them a parable. Here we go, right? Parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what am I going to do? I don't have any place to store all of these crops. Um, This is not a sermon about um, possessions or retirement accounts or the $48 billion storage unit industry. I don't know what to do with all of those things, and maybe part two of this sermon will happen someday, and we'll get there. But today, I want to focus on this fascinating moment in the text where the land produces the abundance. Did you catch that? Um, in the Greek, it's even a little more clear. The land is the noun, and the producing of the abundance is what it's doing. This man did not produce this abundance. The land produced this abundance. And it turns out how we as Christians handle the gifts of the earth matters. What we do with the land matters. The earth has provided abundantly, and instead of passing it on because God's meets needs, this man decides he's going to keep it for himself. So allow me to introduce you to our land. This is 4400 Northwest Expressway, um, as seen from a satellite somewhere on Google Maps. And I have roughly calculated for you where it goes. Um, It's kind of like a state, how the states got their shapes. You watch that show. But um, we have this really cool creek, right, that runs there along the the west side. And then we have this, like, retaining wall between us and the office parking lot on the east. And then we kind of have Northwest Expressway to the south, apartment buildings um, to the, wait, no, north, south. 
I'm really great at directions. And um, this, that's <laughs> uh, funny. Um, but what I want to say about our land, this land, is that it is abundant. I don't know if you've ever had a chance, you know, sometimes life creeps in and we forget to take a look at our land. Um, but maybe you've never really noticed the creek, you know? Um, funnily enough, someone has noticed this creek. Um, there was an ice storm a year or two ago that took down a lot of the branches of the trees of this creek. And the city of Oklahoma City maintains an easement along that side of our property and gave us a call and said, hey, we're going to be coming through with our team and take out the branches that fell down in the ice storm. I mean, that sounds reasonable. It's like, okay. Um, I came the next day, and I don't know if you kind of remember, if you are super details-oriented, but the, the scene it, it like felt decimated to me. Where you had this, these big, beautiful trees along the creek, now you could see every building across the street because there were just patches everywhere. They had taken out entire trees that I didn't seem to me were damaged. Um, and I literally shed a tear that day coming into the office. But like, what are you gonna do? Those trees are already gone, it's not ours to tear down those trees in this moment. It was the city of Oklahoma City exercising their rights. But turns out there is really fascinating human out there in New Mexico um, who is just paying attention, right? And sends us a letter about three months later to the church like, how dare you destroy your creek like this? God gave you a creek. And Half the trees are gone. What have you done? I mean, it was a really intense letter. I actually went back and tried to find it. Um, well, we could not find it for this sermon. That's okay. And, you know, I've read it myself just being blown away. Here is this guy whose hobby is to care about creation and to stand up for the moments when he feels like the abundance has been squandered and writes to us to say, how dare you? And all we could do was write back and be like, we had no idea. We, we didn't know this was going to happen. They called us. They said they were going to maintain a few branches because of the ice storm. We didn't know. We didn't know. We're so, so sorry. And we will pay more attention to the abundance of our land. And he sent us a sweet little note a few months later. He was like, oh, okay, I totally understand. Good for you. Like, better luck next time. <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat> so, one of the things that we're trying to do around here is create some teams. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, John mentioned this in his sermon, um, that we are going to be asking you, we're going to be asking us as a church um, to do just a little more volunteering. Um, I don't know if you know this, but it takes over 60 volunteers every week to run this place, to do this together. And that's not including a couple dozen like paid staff and nursery workers, right? That's just the people who are showing up to volunteer. Um, and there are things like greeters, nursery, Sunday school teachers, kids Sunday school teachers, uh, Mom and Ellen and Ron made coffee, like everything that's happening um, in a volunteer, 60 plus people, right? And we're just trying to add the icing on the cake and put a few more of us out there. Um, 
And here is the form. I wanted to actually point out the form. If you go to okcfirst.com, serve tab, serve, soon we will have it okcfirst slash serve, okcfirst.com slash serve, right? Um, but this is the list that you're gonna see when you log on there. Um, and there's a host team, which I will be a part of, and um, building prep team, and land care team, and uh, some many, many other things happening. But I wanted to point out two to you this morning. The building prep team. You don't think of our church building as the land, but we're gonna meld them all together for the point of the sermon. And I wanna just say, um, I'm excited about having specific group of volunteers, three to four of us, who are gonna show up at 8.30 and pray over this place and walk the halls and just kinda put stuff back, you know? Squash a bug, put it in the trash. Do whatever needs to be done, you know, that just little extra layer um, of intentionality. I'm pumped about that. And the other one I'm excited about is this land care team. Um, John Painter and his wife, Rebecca, yeah, wave, hi. Um, John Painter and his wife, Rebecca, John is a certified arborist, um, so he knows way more about trees than any of us. And um, he is gonna help us every Sunday morning with this land care team to water the indoor plants, to prune stuff outside, to take out the recycling. Um, so if you're interested in caring for the planet every Sunday morning, this might be a really, really cool opportunity. But at the same time, I don't wanna shame you into any of this, right? Um, see, in this particular parable, it's a rich man who receives more in this particular year than enough. And there may be times when you or I have received more than enough. And I think by that I mean we have a little extra to give. There are some of us in this room that might be in a season of burnout. You don't have enough. You have not received extra. There is nothing left to give. And if that's you, it might be all you can do to just get here. It might be all you can do to show up, to listen, to watch online, to get around to the podcast this week, and that's okay. See, it's no secret around here that God's mind about you is made up, and the news is good. So even if there is a year when you have not received an abundance and you cannot bring yourself to volunteer, or it's just too much to ask to try a Sunday school class, or maybe social anxiety from two years of pandemic life has set in, that's okay. You are not what you do, you are worth more than the sum of your doing. Hear me say, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. On the other hand, maybe you are a rich human. Maybe you're in a season where there's enough to go around. Maybe you've got a little bit extra time, money, energy to spare. Maybe you could fund the kingdom of God happening around here in new ways. Maybe you're in recovery, but you're willing to serve a little. Maybe, just maybe, you could come early to the church once a month and water indoor plants or pray over the building. Maybe you're an introvert, but you're open to serving behind a camera and making the live stream happen. Maybe you are in this season where you've had a taste of church community, but now you're ready to go deeper, to serve, to give back. A couple weeks ago, John's been talking about this service thing, and I went back to find the quote because I really loved it. You volunteering, me volunteering, is not just good for the faith community. It's good for you. It's good for me. Our cycle of faith is completed when we serve.
So here's the point. Maybe in this season, you have received just a little more than you need. Maybe in this season, you have the bandwidth to be generous toward God. Don't just keep it to yourself. Don't just hoard it for you and yours. You might have just a little extra time, money, or energy, and if that's you, and if that's me, then what we have, we are called to offer it up to God. If you're helping us serve communion this morning, I'd invite you to come forward. This is the nourishment that we need to do the thing, to pay forward the extra that our land has produced in abundance. And we confess that we cannot do it on our own, so let me pray for these elements as we get started. Creator God, pour out your spirit on those of us gathered here, on the gifts that we have been given and on these gifts of bread and cup. Let them be for us the body and blood of Christ. By your spirit, make us one with each other and one in ministry to all the world. Amen. Just a few housekeeping notes real quick. Here at OKC First, we celebrate an open table. If you recognize somewhere in there that you need grace, you are welcome here. No catechism or membership required, right? If you're worried about what might be in this bread and cup, let me tell you the bread is gluten-free and the cup is now non-alcoholic as we serve our brothers and sisters in recovery. Um, do you want to go ahead and do you need me for something? Okay. Um, in order to accommodate as many folks as possible, um, we're going to have several stations. You're going to be dismissed by ushers. And if you are not ready um, or or you just don't want to come forward for communion, you are invited um, to receive the um, Mick communion, the um, mini doodads, the, do the things. There's pre-packaged, pre-packaged. <clears throat> there are pre, yes, pre-packaged elements, ladies and gentlemen, um, ready for you, and the ushers who will be dismissing you by row have access to those, or you can, or you can raise a hand. Um, during our time of communion together, the altars are always open. If you would like to come and pray, one of our pastors would love to come and pray with you. Um, and there's also a bowl of water here in the center um, that connects us to the gifts of the earth through water and invites us to recall our baptism when we got into this mess in the first place. And if you want that cold water to jog your memory, it's here for you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus shared one last meal with his best friends in the whole world. He took the bread of the earth, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the end of the meal, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord until he comes. And won't you join us in this Eucharist, this shared meal at the communion table, and take a moment to pray. You're invited. Come.
won't you pray with me? Creator God, you are big and you are awesome, and yet you see each one of us, and you're with us when we gather. Lord, some of us in this room are struggling from burnouts. We are weary and heavy laden, and we could really use some rest. Won't you hold close those of us that find ourselves in a season like that this morning? But God, some of us find ourselves with a little more than enough. Maybe it's time, money, resources, energy. And maybe you're calling us to give that away from ourselves. Maybe you're calling us to participate in your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven by offering up to you what we did not create for ourselves. Oh no, God, this land has provided. You have provided. Be with us as we identify that margin in our lives. And as we muster up the courage to give it away. And now Pastor Jason will lead us in prayers for our community. Thank you, Pastor Britt. Would you just continue to join me in the posture of prayer, which is most comfortable for you? And would you lend your prayers in these moments as we do pray for an intercession, our community? And so, God, we ask that you would care for those who need you the most. We ask, God, that for those who are watching online or who are here with us, who, God, need a touch of your grace, a message today of your love, that, that, God, those who need to know in the bottom of their hearts that your mind about them is made up and the news is good, that, God, your love and your grace would freely flow to those who need you the most. And, God, we ask that you'd be with those who are in the most trouble, those, God, who have nowhere to turn. God, we pray for the lonely. God, we pray for our friends who are incarcerated. God, we pray for our individuals and families who are in struggling moments of their lives. And God, we ask that your love and your grace would go, even right now, to those who need you. God, we ask that you would be with that heart that's heavier than all of our hearts. Whether that person is here or online, God, we ask for an extension of your grace, an extension of your love, your power, your healing, and your presence in their lives. God, we pray for a few folks who continue to need your healing. God, I pray for my friend, your beloved servant, Faith. God, we ask that you would be with Faith Sinclair, and God, you would give her healing, relief from pain and strength. God, we ask that you'd be with our friends Cheryl and Pete Hall. God, we ask that you would be with those who, God, have cancer or are recovering from cancer and still need your loving grace and tender healing. And in those names we pray for out loud, we pray for Diane Dawkins and Scott Peterson and Randa Thompson and Linda Weaver. God, we are thankful for some of the ways in which you have begun, you have continued to bring healing. And our friend Angela Adams, who is on this list of cancer for so long, just told me that she's returned to work this last week. 
So God, we praise you and thank you for the good work you've done in our friend Angela Adams. God, we ask you to continue to be with our friends Matthew Larson and Betty Fain. And God, we ask that you would continue to be with those of us, God, who continue to travel along with you. And God, would you transform us each and every week by the message we've heard, by the Eucharist moments as you've given your body and blood to us, but also, God, as we recite these prayers. And one of those prayers is this Lord's Prayer. And church, would you recite it along with me? It'll be on the screen in front of you if you don't quite know it at this time. But would you pray along with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.